Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Amen. First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to be reading to you today about the story of David and Goliath. You should know this story. If you've gone to Sunday school, if you've not been in church for years, you should know this story. It's actually a huge segment of text, so I want to just strip it back a bit and just bring some areas that I really feel the Holy Spirit wants to speak into people's lives with today. First Samuel 17 verse 4, we're going to pick up, and it says this, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, whatever that is. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That sounds pretty heavy. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servers. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul That's King Saul. And all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I don't know if sometimes you are dismayed and terrified of your life and where you're at in your circumstance even now. Let me tell you there's hope. Verse 17 as we move on says this, that later on we know that David who was going to become King David, shepherd boy David, now is with his dad Jesse, and he's been slaying bears and lions and looking after his his flock of sheep. But we know that in 1 Samuel 16, it's just been said over his life that he is going to become the king. Amen? There was a, what a prophetic word to receive, that he has this word. Then we find him here, as we look to verse 17, that it jumps to another scene And it says, now Jesse, that's David's dad, to his son David, he said, take this ephah, that's about 16 kilograms, of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things, that's the the food he brought, with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers, 
how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted in his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now I want you to jump to verse 38, where we see right now after David's heard this, that what happens next is that David, he's the one who says, pick me, I want to go and fight this man. I mean, how crazy is that? It says this, that as he comes to uh, go and fight him, that Saul then, in verse 38, is about to try and dress him in his armor to go and fight Goliath. Let's look at it. Verse 38 says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. So he took them off. Are you sounding good? Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Amen. I'm so glad he did. I want to talk to you today about my title of my message is this, Positioned for Victory. Positioned for for victory. Now the thing is, in this story, if you read the whole story in the context, what you see is that you've got Goliath, this name coming out, and it keeps telling us his name, this champion from Gath, this big strong person that everyone knew. He's got a name. He's got a name about him that when people heard, oh, it's the champion from Gath, they got scared. We've been singing this morning about the name above all names, amen? We've been singing about the one who is above all. He carries the name above all names. And so I want to just say to you today, you might not have a Goliath in your life. You might not be facing someone with a big bronze javelin. You might not be facing today someone who is coming to attack you, a tall man who is known for destroying people. But today you might be facing a circumstance in your life where the enemy is coming to try and destroy you. And what that is, is it becomes a name that you have made this name sometimes above God's name. You look at this problem and you say, this name is too big for me to deal with. It's too big. And can I just say that that is Satan's agenda over your life. It's Satan's agenda to get you to think that the problem you have, the name that you have, is is actually your position for destruction. I've got some news for you today, that when you're like David and you're a servant of the Most High God, you are positioned for victory. Come on, someone say amen. Oh, Your position for victory. And I want to talk to you today about the fact that the enemy is going to come in and try and steal, take away what God is doing in your life. And some of you right now, you've had a promise, a prophetic word. You're like David was in 1 Samuel 16. You've had the promise that you're going to one day become king. Something's going to happen in your life. You're waiting for that. But now the enemy is trying to destroy every thought of that happening. He will do it, and he will do it for the rest of your life, I'm afraid. 
But let me tell you, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Depends who you're serving. Who do you serve today? You know, I love this story because I just think, how on earth? I mean, the, the, the physical side of David coming out so small and then you've got this big Goliath, it just doesn't work. It doesn't equate. You cannot assume that he's going to win. Years ago when I was a young boy and I was going to score, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced this, but I went through a period of time when I was bullied by a particular guy in, in school and, and I used to go into school and I'd be scared of going in because I'd be scared of seeing this person. So I'd, I'd kind of hide at school. And I had, I had lots of friends around me, but all my friends seemed to disappear when this person came. No one stuck up for me. And, and I used to get quite worried and, uh, about this person. And then out of school one night, I, was, I went out with some friends. And I went into this, uh, what we have up north, of fish and chip shops. You don't have many of them down here, but we like our fish and chips up north. And I went into a fish and chip shop, and I was only around 13, 14 years old. And I remember walking in, and I knew that this young man was... When he got me, he was going to destroy me. That's the kind of thing. I thought, if he catches me, he's going to hurt me. And so I went to this chip shop, and I'm buying some chips, and I'm with a few of my friends in, in this chip shop, and we'd just come over the road from my uncle's house. And so I'm stood in the chip shop, and then all of a sudden, I remember all of the gang appear outside of the, the chip shop. In fact, there's someone here from, 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 from Wath, I know tonight where I'm from, and today. And it's right on Melton High Street, and I'm there in this fish and chip shop. And all of a sudden, this gang appears. And my heart was pumping. I thought, when I leave here, I'm going to leave with my stomach full, or at least I'm going to be eating my chips at my uncle's, hopefully, but I'm going to be beaten up on the way. I mean, I, I was 99.9% sure when I walk out of here, he was looking through the window, the gang was looking, they were smirking, and I'm thinking, when I walk out of here, I, I am dead meat, as we say up north. I'm dead meat. I never, I'll never forget the fear. Now, what did I do? I got in this stage. I thought, there's no way of getting out of this. The only way is my uncle, who, whose house we were at, at the other side of the road, he's a six-foot-tall man. He was, he was huge. And, and I thought, we're going to have to call your dad. If he comes out of the house and stands there and shouts us over the road, then they ain't going to do a thing. So I had to, to lower my pride and say to the man who just served me the chips, can I borrow your phone? Because we didn't have mobile phones then. And so I went round the back of the till. They're all watching me. And I'm phoning up my uncle saying, we're in the chip shop at the other side of the road. And there's a guy about to kill us. He said, what do you want me to do? I said, just come out. <laughs> Stand there at least. And so he did. And he walked across the road and said, Philip, Nathan, come out. Come. And shout into the chip shop. The gang looks. We walk out. They look at him who's six foot tall. And then I walked across the road with my chips really, really cool. It looked like he just shouted me across, you know. They didn't realize I just phoned him. Can I just say to you that you can't fight your battles on your own. You see, you need God. And when God stands behind you, and ahead of you, and we looked at this last week, that actually when he stands behind you and ahead of you, he's greater than you. And when the enemy comes and sees you as a servant of the Most High God, he doesn't see you, he sees God. 
Okay? He sees God. And you've got to get that into your mind because the moment you start to look at yourself of who you are and how small you are, the enemy has got you into a lie of what the, en- what the enemy sees. The truth is, the enemy sees servants of God. And he wants to destroy us. But how many of you know that Jesus is for us? He's not against us. He says that for 40 days, this Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Ephesians 6.12, Paul describes the battle that we have in our lives. And he talks about putting the armor on. It says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wow. Can I just say, some of us sometimes, I think we live oblivious to the fact that there is a war going on over your life. You know, the demoniac in, in, in the Bible, when it tells a story, and I preached on going across in the storm once, and that, that Jesus gets to the other side, and he meets the demoniac in the Gerasenes. When he goes across there, there is a war for that man's life. But there's also a desire for God to get to the war. There's a desire for Jesus to get to the man, to help the man out of the war he's in. I want to tell you today that Jesus has not left you. He doesn't forsake his children. So however big the problem is, Jesus is with you. Amen? Come on. And I want you to believe that. But sometimes what we do is we, we, we can start to not believe in the devil. We start to not, if we don't believe in the devil, then we don't believe in God. So then we start to, it's almost like we, we push that aside. Sunday we worship God, but actually we really don't know whether all this really, is this really going on? Let me tell you, the truth of God's word says it is. There are spiritual powers at work over your life when you give it to Jesus. And if there's any there's a word for someone today, and I felt as I was putting this together, just to say, be careful of your blind spots. Be careful of your blind spots. When I was um, learning to drive, I remember the guy in the front, and he had an extra set of pedals. I'm not sure why, he didn't trust me. But he had an extra set of pedals, and, I, and all of a sudden, the car would break on its own. I think, oh, why? He does it on its own, realized he was, he was just driving it. I thought I was driving the car. But he used to say to me, check your mirrors, check your mirrors. And I was trying to check mirrors, but there were sometimes some places that were blind spots that even the mirrors couldn't see. That's why you need godly people around you to help you to spot the blind spots, to alert you of the areas. In Nehemiah 4 verse 11, it talks about that when they were building the wall, So they're halfway through the job. There is a a, a purpose, a promise from God. And in Nehemiah 4.11 it says this, that the enemies said, before they know it, we'll be among them. In other words, I'm going to just translate into my version from up north. Before they know it, we'll get past their blind spot. Before they know it, it says, we will be among them. This is the enemies against them building the walls around Jerusalem. We'll be among them. Then it says, then we'll kill them. And then it says, we'll put an end to their work. See the objective. The objective is not just to kill. It's to destroy the work. To destroy what God's intentions are for people's lives, your life, this church. And so what you find is the enemy says, the enemy is just like those people were because they were driven by Satan. 
that actually what the enemy wants to do is get into your life through the blind spots before you know it is among you. Then he'll kill you off. He'll kill your faith. He'll kill your desire. Then once he's done that, he's ruined the work of God. That's the plan of the enemy over your life. But you've got to say, well, I'm not going to have that because I serve a God who is a God of the impossible. I serve a God who is bigger than Satan. In Isaiah it says, he talks about the fact that God designed, he's the creator of the blacksmith that fans the coals into flame to send the weapons your way. Can I say to you, if you think Satan is big, you think he's a big problem for you today, let me tell you, I know the one who made him. Do you? Don't get worried about the created thing. Look to the creator. Look to the one who made the enemy. Because he says, I've got your life in my hands. Hallelujah. Positioned for victory. There's nothing that can come against you when you keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Amen. I've got a few things I just want to bring from these scriptures. First thing is this. Tomorrow's victories come by, number one, staying obedient to the insignificant. I'm going to say that again. Number one, staying obedient to the insignificant. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, David gets selected to stand before Samuel the prophet, and he gets chosen and anointed to be the king. But remember, this is not an official anointing. So he's getting anointed, and he's saying, this is what you're going to be. It's like a great prophetic word. This is what you're going to be. This is what's coming your way. There is something amazing over your life. And and, and I anoint you now, this anointing comes upon you, but you're going to have to wait. But let me tell you, this is an amazing prophetic word, David. You have got an amazing calling upon your life. Then it says, the Spirit of God came upon him powerfully. Interestingly, the next verse says that Saul lost the Spirit of God. And then it says that a a, a demonic spirit came and tormented him. So what we see here is that David is now walking in 1 Samuel 16 with a promise. He's not seen the fulfillment. Then he's going to walk into this season where he's got to go back to tending his sheep. A few sheep. That's all it was. Just a few sheep. Dealing with a few bears and a few lions. If that's not enough, that would be, be my grace victory. If, if Jesus said at the end of time, he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant for killing all those lions. He just did a few things like that, preparing him for what God was going to do next. But he's in this season, and he's in this season where he's heard the word. He knows what God said. Nehemiah knows that the walls are going to be built because God's called Nehemiah. So he knows this. And halfway through that season of the life, the enemy comes in. Can I just say that the enemy always seems to come in halfway through things and destroy it? Or try to, should I say Look at the storm in, in, going towards the demoniac in the Gerasenes. Halfway through, they hit a storm. I preached on it recently in John chapter 6 when they're crossing the lake. Halfway across the lake, they find it really tiring. They feel like giving up and turning around and going back because it's easier to go with the wind. And so listen, the enemy always loves to come in halfway through a job. Because he knows it's that pivotal moment. You either go one direction or you go the other. 
Now, are you with me this morning? Is this good? Okay, listen. In verse 17, 1 Samuel 17, it says this. Now, Jesse, now just picture this. He's got the most amazing prophetic word. He knows his future. He knows it's coming. Something's coming. The power of the Holy Spirit is upon him. Then it says this. Jesse, his dad, says to him, take this effort of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Look, Jesse, all he wants is, what does he want? He doesn't want a victory, he just wants a bit of assurance. Just, just bring me back, just bring me back a nice word. Just to, at least to let me know that some of them are a bit stronger than what they were yesterday. Just a bit of assurance. I don't, look, David, just go and see them. Give them the food. I'm not asking for a complete victory. Just a bit of assurance. Do you know some of us sometimes in life, we pray prayers. We expect God not to fulfill everything because we don't think it's possible. Just, uh, God, I, I don't believe you can do everything. So just a bit of assurance. How many of you know that a bit of assurance wasn't coming back? There was more coming back than assurance. There was a victory coming back. And so he says, go and take these things. I want you to take this FR, this 16 kilos of roasted grain, 10 loaves of bread, and 10 cheeses for the commander of the unit. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was David and I just got a word that told me I'm going to be a king, this is where pride comes in. And this is where we have to be humble even with the word that God gives us. Because what happens is he's in a moment of time where now he's been asked by his dad to do something that seems completely insignificant to the calling of God upon his life. He's been asked to take some cheese. He's been asked to take 10 loaves of bread. 16 kilos. I don't even know if I could lift that. Could I? He's been asked to do something that in his mind is insignificant to the calling of God upon him. And some of you right now, you're in a situation and season in your life where God is calling you to do things and to do things that seem so insignificant, but what you don't realize is it's actually the pathway to the calling of God upon your life. Take 10 loaves of bread. Oh, you're joking. Ten loaves of bread? I'm a king. Didn't you know that? I've, I've had a word. I don't have to do I have got qualifications to be a king. I've been slaying bears. I've been slaying lions. This is who I am. Let me show you my portfolio. I ain't got a portfolio. I am too big for this job. I'm too big to take cheese. It's not for me. You know, years ago, I'd just finished university. In Cambridge, not Cambridge University, Anglia. I'll just put that in to let you know, in case you thought I were brainy. Sorry to all the people who go to Anglia, but I have been. It's, a, it's much better now. But when I came out of Anglia, I went for my first interview, the first job interview to go into design and media. And I wanted to work in, um, in a role. I, I loved, one of my dissertations was to design TV titles. So I, lo- my, I actually wanted to work in the industry of designing TV titles for programs, videos, and moving image. And so I went down to London 
I got this interview to go in and sit in a, in a company in London to get a job to design titles for TV programs, things that you watch on normal TV, you know. And so I go down to this, this studio, and I was just amazed. I'm wowed by it. I go in there, have the interview, and so relaxed. And, and I'm sat there, and he said to me at the end, he said, we want to offer you a job. I thought, wow, wow. I've only just come out of uni in the first interview. I mean, you know, this is amazing. He said, we want to offer you a job. He said, we think you're the right man for the job. I thought, this is amazing. God, this is amazing. And so I, I, I said to him, I said, so what, what about the, he said, have you got any questions about the role? And I said, well, you know, what's the salary? <laughs> we all want to know that. We always leave it to the last, don't we? But what's the salary? And then he said to me, he said, well, actually, we thought that the best way of doing this is that we don't pay you. I said, come again. <laughs> Sorry, did I just hear that right? Do you want another coffee? He said, we, we thought if we don't pay you and for three months you do a trial run. And he said, and actually to start, and I said, well, when would I, what, what kind of things as well would I be doing? Because uh, would I be designing things? And he said, well, to start with, you wouldn't be designing anything. You'll be a, what we call our runner. I thought, runner? What's a runner? I didn't ask, I didn't go to university to be a runner. At a university to, to do exercise, I went to sit at a computer and do nothing. Run? He said, run. We need you to take different tapes and videotapes across from different studios. I said, what? All right. And he said, have a think about it. I thought, well, I'll have a long hard think about this one. I, I got on the train, went home, and I, come, I came back, and Emma said, how did it go? And I said, oh, it went amazing. I said, they offered me the job. She goes, wow, that's amazing. I said, but no pay for three months, and I'm not even doing the job. I'm just running. They phoned me up a few days later. They said, what do you want to do? I said, actually, I don't want to do it. He said, why? I said, because I, don't, I want to do the job and I can't afford to go to London for three months and not get paid. Do you know something sometimes? God wants us. We think that we're too big for the job. For the small things, the insignificant things. And so what we do is we miss out on these opportunities where God is about to release some of the most amazing, extravagant, and destiny, purpose-filled moments of your life. He wants to do some of these things for you today, but some of us, we don't want to carry the cheese. We don't want to carry any cheese, because I'm not a cheese carrier. I'm a king. So we can miss the opportunity. I'm just thankful, by the way, that David did do it. Why? Because the Bible says he had a man after God's own heart. There was something about him. That's why he got chose with all the other brothers. Not on appearance and who he was. He got chose because God was already doing something in his heart. That he was someone who God could take hold of. And who was prepared to carry cheese. Can I just say today... That an insignificant chore today, do you know what a chore is when you have to do something? An insignificant chore could just be a significant door for you tomorrow. An insignificant chore today could be a significant door tomorrow. But some of us miss the opportunities. We miss these great opportunities where God wants to open up and release his promise in our lives. 
Because David was about to go and fight Goliath and win the victory. Verse 20 says this, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Do you see that? He leaves the flock. He leaves what's important to him to go into what God has for him. Some of us are holding on to things that we think are important to us. We're holding on to our few sheep when he says, I've got a victory for you. I've got you something else that I want you to slay. I want you to release the next season in your life. But you're holding on to a few sheep. He says he left the sheep in care of someone and he went. He went to do what God had for his life. He went and did as Jesse had directed. I want to just ask you, he did what his father directed. Are you doing what your father in heaven directs you to do? Are you holding on to things because you're scared of losing them for the calling of God upon your life? Are you holding on to things when you're scared of losing those things? He left those Things God is asking some people here today to leave some things to allow God to move you into the next season because there's a victory, amen, coming your way. It's time to carry the cheese, people. It's time to carry the bread, people. It's time to walk into what God has for you, people. And you might have to carry some bread. You might have to do a bit of walking. You might have to do something you don't like doing. But when you do it, Jesus is going to come through for you. Because when you see the insignificant chores in God's plan, He will release significant doors in your life. Hallelujah. I feel like speaking in tongues. He says, verse 18, see how your brothers are. Check how they are. Bring Bring me back some assurance. David, just go. Take the food. Do as I tell you to do, son. He's probably thinking, Dad, if if only I could tell you what the anointing, I'm a king. Go on. You need to go and do this. And just bring me back a bit of assurance while I'm sat here. I need to know that everything's okay with my, my sons. How many of you know he did not bring back assurance? He brought back a head of a man who was there declaring defiance and war against them. He did not bring back, he did not bring back assurance. Assurance is just temporary assurance to keep you going. But he brought back the head to Jerusalem. He brought back the head of the giant that was declaring, defying war against them. And listen to me, I want you to know this today. What the enemy has planned against your life through addictions, through different things he's tried to destroy you with. It's not a time to believe for just a bit of assurance. It's time to believe in your life for you to Cut the head off of it and to bring back the head. You see, Jesse, oh, bring back a bit of assurance. David, he didn't probably realize what was going on, although we don't know what the Spirit of God was stirring in his heart. Because I'm telling you something, when he goes that way and he takes that bread, there's something that tells me in my spirit that says that when David went, and he went on that journey, that God began to speak to him. God began to prepare his heart ready for the moment that he had to do what he had to do. Can I say to you today, It's not time to just expect a bit of assurance in your life. 
It's time to believe that God wants to cut off the head. He wants to cut off the head. You're going to have a victory that's beyond what you thought you could have. Hallelujah. Come on. This is the word of God. He brought back Goliath's head. You know, some of us see insignificant things and we think it's he's pointless doing them. The boy, John chapter 6, the loaves of bread and the fish, insignificant. What's the point doing this? What's the point doing this? But he brought the insignificance. He took the instruction. I spoke about it last week, the transfiguration, Matthew 17. Mark 9, that when they come down, it says in Matthew 17, that as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them. In other words, he said, I want you to listen to my instructions. Do what may seem insignificant because your significance is at the top of the mountain. My significance is going down the mountain to something that's really bad. So I want you to listen because as you do that, you're going to release the kingdom of God. There is something greater when you listen to his insignificant instructions Because you want to do the significant. You want the mountaintops. Let me tell you, God is about to release things in your life. As you begin to say, God, do you know what? I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. My understanding tells me that I'm not a cheese carrier. My understanding tells me that I can't do this. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your ways straight, your path straight. Sometimes insignificant instructions do not line up with your understanding. But let me tell you, they're going to release. They're going to release. They're going to release the doors for victory over your life. Amen? Hallelujah. Number two is this, tomorrow's victories come by staying confident in the face of the defiant. David arrives, and then he says this, verse 22, he arrives, then he leaves his supplies in the supply tent. Now, listen to me. He's got an instruction to go and do a job. So his job is to deliver the cheese. His his job is to deliver the bread and just chat to his his brothers, get some assurance and bring the assurance back. Not cut someone's head off and get into the battle line. That's not what he got instructed to do. How many of you know sometimes people in your life, godly people will set you up, but then God takes you a bit further. (laughs) Sometimes you're saying, some people have aligned, you've aligned yourself in association with others. You've got so far in the task, but they won't get you any further. Why? Because their faith's not big enough for you. So they take you so far and you think, I'm just going to live my life on what people say and prophets say and people next to me say. But listen to me, if you do that, you're actually limiting what God wants to do. If you live off prophetic words, you're going to limit yourself. Because God will take you to place. And I said it last week, faith is actually a discomfort. Faith requires that you've got nothing you can see in front of you. And if, there's, if, if, if you can see it, then faith doesn't exist. You're lying to yourself if you think that you have to see something to have faith. To have faith, you have to see nothing. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's not faith. Some people will take you on the journey and they'll get you so far, then God is about to release you. He's about to say, do you know what, David? Your your dad has lined you up. You took the chore on. 
Now listen to me, your Father in heaven. Because now while you're walking with this cheese, thank you for obeying and taking the cheese. Because listen to me, son. You are about to slay that giant. You are about to do something. You are about to do something that none of your brothers have done. You're about to do something that none of the armies are doing. You're about to do something that is so amazing that you think you're carrying cheese. I've got a plan for your life. And that's what comes by personal intimacy with God. Not personal intimacy with your mates. It's when you do what people ask you to do, serve, then go. I love this. He says he arrives there, verse 22, leaves his supplies in the tent. Listen to this. He runs to the battle line. That is not, this is a young boy. He gets there. I don't know about you, but if I had the cheese and the bread... And my dad told me to do something and get just a little report back. Do you know what I'd do? I'd sit in the supply tent and wait while they come back. I'd say to the, I'd say to the guy who runs the supply tent, Hey, mate, how you doing? Here's the cheese. My dad sent this. Just wait and do. Have you heard anything that's going on? Well, mate, it's very scary down there. They've got some guy coming out. You know the champion from Gath? That guy, oh, wow. Yeah. Every, every one of the army, they're all scared. Even though they've got great weapons, they're scared. I I think I would stay in the supply tent. But something happens because the Spirit of God, remember, is upon him. 1 Samuel 16. Spirit of God's upon him, which now takes him from the supply tent. He says he leaves the stuff there and says, I'm I'm not just going to have a wander and just disguise through the bushes and have a look what's going on down there. No, 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 no. I'm going to run to the battle line. I'm getting down to the front line. I'm getting down. Do you know why? Because David is a pioneer. David is a pioneer. He's one who is making a way where there seems to be no way. And he's running to the battle line. I love the fact he talks a lot about drawing the lines, that they drew the lines of battle lines. They're facing each other. He gets down to the battle line. He says, guys, my dad needs to know what's going on. And then they start telling him, saying, well, this, this guy keeps coming out every day. He keeps shouting things and, and, and we've been told by Saul that whoever kills him gets X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. And they, they say this and then all of a sudden while they were talking, he appears. Verse 23, he says, as he was talking with them, David was talking with his brothers. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted in his usual defiance and David heard it. Then it says that the rest of them, it says they were fleed. They they were scared. It didn't say David fleed, it says he heard it. Listen to me, when you hear God say something over your life, a promise that the future is going to be okay, that actually you're going to become a king, can I just say something to you? You know that you're going to be okay. So there was something in his spirit that was a, a, a strength that said, I know that I'm okay. And also, I'm willing to listen to his cry, but I've heard a cry on the inside of me that tells me I'm bigger than who I am. I'm something bigger than what the enemy is telling me I am. You're not just that little person who's going to get knocked over by the enemy. When you believe your identity in God, Then you begin to realize you have the ability not to flee the line, but stay on the line. He says he stepped out from the line. Anyone who steps out from the line is saying, I want to fight now. 
I'm crossing this facing line and now I'm stepping out to say, come on. That's what the enemy does. When you start to raise up your standard, when you start to come before him, you start to push, push your ground. You get to the battle line. I'll tell you, the enemy starts to cross the line and say, come on then. Because he knows he's a defeated foe. Satan knows that. Have you read the end of the Bible? Do you know what happens to him? He's a defeated foe. He knows what's happening. That's why you have to remind him of the word of God. He's under your feet, people. When you come to the line, the enemy will step over the line. He says, David heard it, but the others fled. Do you know the supply tent represents your comfort zone? Some people will stay in the supply tent. They'll only get so far, they'll stay in the comfort zone, and they'll never see what God wants to do in their life. You got so far, you're actually halfway there and then you gave up because you were fearful of the future. You were fearful of what God wants to do next in your life. But listen to me, David was just a few paces away from his fulfillment of what God was about to release. Some of you are staying in your supply tent, and I've got a word for you today. It's time to get out of the supply tent. It's time to get out of that place of comfort zone and say, I'm going to the battle line because I'm called to do something greater. I'm called to slay some giants. I'm called to take ground for Jesus Christ. I'm not called to sit here chatting with the commander of the supply tent, talking about how bad things are in the world. Of how much sin there is. It's time to get to the battle line, people. If you stay in the supply tent talking, you'll never slay any giants. Don't let the supply tent of your life, the comfort zone, hold you back from what God wants to do in your life. Hallelujah. I remember just about a year or so ago, I went on a beaver's trip with my, my son and we went camping. And they said, who wants to help with the supply tent? Tomorrow morning, you get up at 6 to make breakfast, bacon and eggs for everyone. Or the other option is, if you don't do the supply tent, you make rafts with all the team. I thought, well, I can't make rafts, so I'm going to just do the supply tent. That sounds hard work. I'll let them make the rafts. I'll do the supply tent. So I had to get up at 6. It became my comfort zone, and I watched them make rafts from a distance and thought, I wish I'd have done that, actually. I wish I'd have pushed myself to do something outside of my comfort zone. But I told myself I couldn't do it. And the enemy is going to get you into position right now of telling you you're not good enough to do what God's called you to do. Just stay where you are. Stay in the supply tent. That's good enough. That's as far as you need to go. But listen, God wants to take you further. The anointing upon David is what took him to the line. He first, listen, look at, look at this. He leaves his sheep first. He leaves the sheep. Then he leaves the food. There's a lot of things that David takes and leaves. We heard it today. He gives and takes away. Some things that God gave you, you've got to leave. <laughs> Some things that God gave you, you've got to leave to move into destiny. And so now you've got to say, I'm willing to not let anything in the earth, anything of the created thing, hold me back from what God has for my life. Hallelujah. It's time. To go to the line, people. I want you to just read something to you because some of us, we stay in the tent because that's where our place of comfort is. 
And it's where our treasure is. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, it says, don't store up. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart in the tent or the line? Is your heart to serve God in the supply tent of comfort zone, or is it on the line of the battle? Because where your heart is, there your treasure is. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to ask you to give up things to move into this next season of your life, and as you do, I'm going to see where your heart is. It's either in the tent or on the line. I've got a word for someone today. It's time to put your heart on the line. It's time to put your heart on the line for Jesus. I'll tell you why David put his heart on the line. Because if the Bible says, I think it's Acts 13, 22, he's described that he's a man after God's own heart. If he's, if he's a man after God's own heart, can I just say to you, we always say, God, I want to be where you are. I want to follow you where you are. I'll tell you where God's heart was. It wasn't in the tent. It was on the line. God's heart was to destroy the person that was trying to destroy destiny. So he takes someone who's full of the Spirit of God, who's plugged into that voice, plugged into the heart of the Father. And so David, he realizes that if he's going to follow the Father's heart, he's going to have to go a bit further than the supply tent to the line. It's time, church, to put your heart on the line. It's time. (sighs) Hallelujah. Windows of opportunity are sometimes found in uncomfortable places. And can I just say to you that this whole story and this what's happening here is about opportunity. The evangelist Leonard Ravenhill said this, the opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, there are going to be windows of opportunity over your life to take cheese. There are going to be windows of opportunity to leave supply tents because it needs to be done now. You've got to move when God says move. You've got to do it now because those opportunities will only be there for a short time. If you miss them, you miss the rhythm of God and you miss the purpose and plan of God and he will always move on to other plans. The Bible says, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. God is full of plans. He's full of plans to recondition things. He's full of plans to reconfigure things. He's like a great sat-nav because if you take the wrong turn, he'll reconfigure everything. Listen to me. If you miss that window of opportunity, don't think the world's going to end and Jesus is not going to return. He will find someone else. Come on. Some of us think that the, the whole of Jesus returning is lying on our decisions. Some of us think that The fulfillment of biblical prophecy in end times is all going to ride on whether I fulfill God's will in my life. Listen, if you don't take those windows of opportunity by faith, by not seeing things, you're going to miss out. But God will select someone else. He's no respecter of persons. Noah built the ark, Genesis chapter 5. He took an opportunity in a short window to do something for God. Rahab the prostitute helps the spies, Joshua chapter 2. A window of opportunity to help the spies. You can't mess around. 
When the opportunity is facing you, you've got to take it there. Because if you don't, you miss it. Esther takes a step of faith to save a nation. She's in a window of opportunity. You can't mess around. Jesus dies 2,000 years ago. He took a window of opportunity at 30 years old, just three years of ministry. Then he goes to the cross. He takes the window of opportunity. He takes the time that was assigned for him. If he wouldn't have gone to the cross and took the cup, then he would have missed the opportunity of a lifetime to rescue you. There was a time. Who is going to take these opportunities even when you've got to carry cheese? King David, that's who I like to call him, even though he wasn't officially yet, seized the opportunity. God is calling people into seasons to seize opportunities, to take them by the hand, not let the enemy steal them from you. In the face of defiance, he stood strong. Finally, I know that we're slightly over time, but I want to just finish with this. In number three, tomorrow's victories come by staying dependent on God's garment. Staying dependent on God's garment. Verse 38 says, he's now getting ready. He said what he's going to do. Then Saul's like, come on, get out the armor. Get out my clothes. He needs my anointing. He needs what I've had. He needs to wear my clothes. He needs to wear my armor to do this. David can't do this on his own. He needs my anointing. Get the armor, get the weapons, give him everything. He can't do this on his own because it's just not possible. So he tries to put it on. And David, for a moment, he says he walks around in them. Must have been looking in the mirror. I'm just not sure about this, Saul. You're a little bit big. It's just a bit big. And he looks in the mirror and he's, he's like, this is not for me. And, and then he says that he took them off. Do you know something? If we manipulate for personal agenda, we contaminate, we risk contaminating God's eternal agenda. If we manipulate circumstances that are quite good, godly ideas, we manipulate them for personal agenda, we risk contaminating God's eternal agenda over our lives and other, other lives. Saul was trying to dress him in an anointing. And in fact, he didn't have the spirit of God on him. He was being tormented. And so he's trying to do this to say, you need what I've got to do this. But David realized something. That when he heard the word of the Lord in his heart, that made him hear it and stay there and fight, he knew that he didn't need armor. He knew that he didn't need the armor that was of the earthly realm. He needed the armor that's of God. And listen to me today. You don't need someone else's gifting to be able to do what God has called you to do. You don't need their armor. You don't need their clothes. You don't need what they have. You need God's garment. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. It says that when the Holy Ghost comes on us, He will clothe us with power from on high. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. Not Saul's, not no one else's. Some of us 
We're relying on other people's gift. We're relying on other people's gifting, other people's garments. It's time to trust in your own garments because God has given you them. He's given you them. You're not your friend. Stop trying to be what you're not. You can't be them. You'll be tired. Stop saying, I just, if I'm just like them, I can do it. No, 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 no. Do what God has called you to do in your time. Peter tried to manipulate Jesus' journey to the cross in Matthew 16, 23. This is Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. That's what he says. You're, you're manipulating the eternal agenda. You're contaminating the eternal agenda. Stop manipulating the circumstances. Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, he says. Maybe you're hiding behind someone else's anointing. While ever you hide behind someone else, you'll never walk in God's ability. God's ability relies upon you trusting him with the garment he has given you. Some people today need to take off their fake garments. Sorry, did that hurt? Some people need to take off fake garments. Because your fake garments are hiding. You're living behind the wrong garment. It's time to say, God loves me for who I am. Can I just remind you that he does? You're telling yourself, when I'm like that person, then I'm, I'm ready. But God says, I'm telling you now that you have not got to be like someone else. Take off the garment. Take off this thinking. Take off this assumption and walk in who I have called you to be because you are my kid. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's who you are. Stop relying on garments that are not yours. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Hallelujah. That's the helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, David, and I come to finish with this. David, let's stand. Then it'll make me finish. David, David, he says, I don't want that. I don't want what you've got, Saul. I don't want the garments. I'm going to rely on my, my weapons, my shepherd bag, and I'm going to go and choose five stones. Do you know what I love about this story? He chose five stones. He, think, he thought he'd need five, five attempts. He thought he might need a few stones. Can Listen. Do you think that David thought when he fired that first stone that he was going to get the first hit? I once went to the golf course in Cambridge here. And I stood next to someone who was a professional golfer. I took the shot. Took the shot. I only went about once every six years with a few friends just for a laugh. And I hit the ball and I got a hole in one. The guy's there with his gloves on. He's got all his gear, his his trolley bag. I'm there with the, the hired club. And I get a hole in one. He said, how did you do that? Because did you plan that? And I just, yeah. 
He said, you need to go to the golf clubhouse and put your name on there. You've just got a hole in one. I thought, wow, that was good. Felt good for a moment. You know, especially when someone stood next to you looks like the professional. Do you think that David thought he was going to hit target first time? He got five smooth stones. He chose his stones well from the stream. He said, I just need to do it because I know I'm not going to get it the first time. Listen, some of you right now, there's sometimes, even when it looks like you could say, well, David, I'm not like David. He trusted God and he had so much faith because God spoke to him. Listen to me. Let me tell you, in everyone who's got great amounts of faith, there's always some amount of doubt. So whether you're thinking now, I've got to be, if I'm not like David, listen, David took five stones because he thought, I need a five goes at this. But God in his grace and his mercy hits on target the first time, and I think it's a good reason. Because God knows that if he'd have missed, Goliath would have been running after him. And it's much harder to get a running target, isn't it? So he, in, in his grace, he knows the circumstance. Let's, let me tell you, don't worry if you're te- taking a step forward in faith in this next season for God and you are going in all the faith that you've mustered up, that mustard seed of faith we talked about last week. You've got everything inside of you mustered up to go into this next season, but actually still deep down you've got a, a bag with five stones because you're just not sure. I just need to make sure. Listen to me. God is faithful and he's going to surprise you. You're going to hit on target on some things, right on target. And you thought you need five stones. He says, I'm going to use one in the first hit. And you're going to be shocked because then you're going to be left with surplus. And that's what happened when they fed. I can't stop preaching today. I'm sorry. But that's what happened when they they fed the 5,000. It says that when they multiplied them, it says that it didn't just do a multiplication. He left over 12 basketfuls full of food. After 5,000 people plus women and children being fed, it says that 12 basketfuls were left over. That tells me that God always surprises us when you take your insignificant things and do it for God. So let me tell you, if you've got five stones and you think... I'm just going to take these because I'm not sure. God's saying, I'm going to show you, prove you, shock you. You're going to see that when you take five, I'm going to do it in less. And you're going to see that provision is going to come. That God is going to be with you in this season ahead. Come on. Hallelujah. Now some of you are thinking, it's ten past twelve. He's gone on a long time this morning. But it's worth hearing this. Why? Because if you get 10 minutes home earlier just to get your dinner, I want to encourage you that God has done something in your spirit today that's far greater than any dinner that you can have. Look, I'm here at the same time. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've got to preach again later. It's a long day. But I want to tell you because I don't want to come and just bring a fancy message. I want to bring a message that encourages you because I really believe the enemy is trying to attack people. It's time to carry cheese. It's time to trust God. It's time to get to the battle line. It's time to see that you are, you are positioned for victory. And everyone said, Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.
www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.